Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes in defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 94 is entitled, Temporal Law versus Spiritual Law. It is perhaps universally agreed that one of the great scientists of our day was Stephen Hawking. I have three of his books on my desk in front of me, A Brief History of Time, Stephen Hawking's Universe, and The Grand Design. They are heavily marked, frequently read, and greatly admired. I am no scientist, so I appreciate his gift of clarity. I suppose that only scientists of equal understanding can judge his scientific conclusions. I am in no position to argue against his knowledge of the universe. Therefore, I read his books for information. I become his enthusiastic student. He is, of course, very controversial for Christians because he uses his scientific knowledge as an argument to disprove the existence of God. That, for me, is his greatest flaw. It is the same flaw committed by Richard Dawkins, the God delusion. I do not consider Richard Dawkins to be a scientist, but I do consider him to be an excellent science writer. Both, however, fall into the same fallacy. It is not possible through science to prove the existence of God or to disprove the existence of God. And on a purely logical basis, any attempt will result in logical fallacies. It is like arguing over how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. It is a silly question and can only provoke silly answers. The fallacy lies in the unprovable assumptions. That is the fallacy that both Mr. Hawking and Mr. Dawkins fall into. There is one universal truth that if scientists deny, they must deny science. It is this. Everything in our world is predicated upon law. There are two classes of universal laws, both relying on the principle of causality, meaning where there is a cause, there must be an effect, and where there is an effect, there must be a cause. Temporal laws govern the known universe. It is familiarly called the laws of science. You cannot find God through temporal laws. For those who have faith in God, temporal laws provide evidence of his existence because laws suggest intelligent design. However, the designer will always remain invisible. You cannot conjure up God in a laboratory. Imagine, for example, a jet stream in the sky that appears regularly, but you never see the jet. For argument's sake, the jet is in another dimension, but only the jet stream is visible in our dimension. Those who believe in jets would attribute the jet stream to a jet. Those who don't would look for temporal causes. Now let's imagine two sets of science books. One set is written by temporal scientists who only see the jet stream. The other set is written by prophets who have not only seen the jet stream, but also have seen the jet in vision. The temporal scientists would examine the jet stream entirely through temporal laws. Their facts could even be right about everything, but they would never discover the origin of the jet stream. The visionary scientists would connect the two and explain the existence of another dimension. Such is the case today between science and religion. All agree that life exists. 
all agree that Earth is the perfect habitat for life, which is called the Goldilocks Zone. They do not agree on how life is accounted for. Science attributes the existence of life to chance. Prophets attribute the existence of life to God. Scientists write books on temporal law. Prophets write books on spiritual law. Scientists gather information through the scientific method. Prophets gather information through visions, revelations, inspirations, and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Prophets may accept the facts of science, but not the conclusions about origins. Scientists who are atheists reject both the facts and the conclusion of the prophets. Science attributes the origin of the Goldilocks zone and life to luck. Prophets attribute the origin of the Goldilocks zone and life to God. Only faith can bring them together. Those who do not believe in God will never see God. Those who believe in God see the hand of God everywhere. But here, let me repeat my thesis. Everything in our world is predicated upon law. I shall broaden the statement. Everything in our temporal world is predicated upon temporal law. And everything in our spiritual world is predicated upon spiritual law. One set of laws can never contradict another set of laws. Even the miracles of Jesus, who calmed the sea, who fed the 5,000, who restored sight to the blind, who healed the sick, and who even raised the dead, do not contradict law, neither temporal law nor spiritual law. All laws agree with all other laws all the time. Miracles are apparent contradictions, which can only be explained when our knowledge is perfect. A miracle is a law unexplained, nothing more. There is no magic about it. God is a God of law and order. Entropy, where things move from order to disorder, exists only in the temporal realm. In the spiritual realm, there is no entropy. Our bodies are made of temporal matter. Therefore, our bodies will die. Our spirit is made of spiritual matter. Therefore, our spirit will never die. In the resurrection, the temporal body will be changed to an immortal spiritual body. The spirit and the body will be reunited again, never to be separated. Every human being on this earth will be resurrected. Paul teaches, 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve through 14 Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and our faith is also vain. Paul added, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one through 55 Behold, I show unto you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Following his resurrection, Christ appeared to his apostles. It is described as follows. Luke twenty four thirty six through 43 And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, 
peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, and he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and of an honeycomb. And he took it, and did eat before them. A resurrected body will have flesh and bones, but it will be immortal and not subject to physical death ever again. The resurrection cannot occur through temporal laws which are governed by entropy. Death occurs only because of temporal laws. The resurrection occurs only because of spiritual laws. Temporal laws have no power over the spiritual realm. In the afterlife, entropy will not exist. In the same way, the law of creation is not governed by temporal laws. Evolution may account for the survival of the fittest, but it cannot account for the origin of life. That is impossible. Temporal law is limited to mortality, which always leads to death. Creation can only be accounted for because of spiritual law, which leads to life. We existed as immortal spirits before we gained a mortal body. Life began when the spirit was placed in the body. That is the principle upon which all life begins. Speaking only of the creation of man, Moses wrote, Genesis 2, 7 And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The breath of life is the spirit. Every living thing has an immortal spirit, or it would not be a living thing. At death, the spirit leaves the body. Death is nothing more than the separation of the spirit from the body. We do not know about the resurrection of all living things, but through the atonement of Christ, we do know about the resurrection of all mankind. At death, our spirits are temporarily separated from our physical body. The spirits of the dead reside in a place called the spirit world. Apparently, the spirit world is a very large and very complex place. For some, it will be paradise, the Savior said to the thief on the cross. Luke twenty-three forty-three, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. For some, it will be a prison. 1 Peter three eighteen through 20 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Prison cannot be bars and cells. Some perhaps will be punished for their sins, and that could be called a prison. The above suggests that prison is more like spiritual darkness, and they are enlightened by the light of Christ and the light of the gospel of Christ. It is clear that the gospel of Christ is also taught in the spirit world. 1 Peter 4, 5-6 
Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. God is in charge. He appoints the time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, 1-2 To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. That means there is also a time to be resurrected. Nothing is accidental with God. We do not live in an accidental universe. We are not byproducts of accident, chance, luck, coincidence, or serendipity of circumstances. Every time science comes up with a new theory of the origins of life or the origins of the universe, a Christian may simply exclaim, So, that is your present theory of how God created the earth. Is your proof irrefutable? And then, when new discoveries discredit the old and science comes up with a new theory, the Christian may also say, So, that is your present theory of God and creation. Is your proof irrefutable? God works strictly by law, or he is no God at all. God organized temporal law that the universe may run itself. He also organized spiritual law. God is a God of law. He is not a magician. God can only be discovered through faith, but he can only be understood through law. If you want to know the purpose of God, study law. If you want to know the purpose of the temporal world, study temporal laws. If you want to know the mind of God, study spiritual laws. The earth may have been created through temporal laws, but the purpose of earth is spiritual. Even the earth will be resurrected. Revelation 22, 1-5 And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. God will never be discovered by science. Read carefully the following two statements by Stephen Hawking, both from his exciting book, The Grand Design. Others believe the universe had a beginning and used it as an argument for the existence of God. The realization that time behaves like space presents a new alternative It removes the age-old objection to the universe having a beginning, but also means that the beginning of the universe was governed by the laws of science and doesn't need to be set in motion by some god. Before giving the second quote, the statement above is self-contradictory. The statements that can be validated by the study of science are Time behaves like space. The universe had a beginning, which also means that it will have an end. The beginning of the universe was governed by law. I believe those statements are irrefutable. However, the conclusion doesn't need to be set in motion by some God. 
dangles helplessly without any logical support. It is a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. It is based on false assumptions that science cannot prove. One must ask, Where do laws come from? How were laws organized? Science is the first to ask the questions, how, what, where, and when. They are the last to ask the question, why. They are afraid of the answer because it would suggest purpose. And purpose requires intelligent design, and intelligent design requires God. They prefer luck, coincidence, or accident, though it defies all laws of probability. The only logical way we can answer those two questions above is to examine the effects of law. That will give us a purpose, and purpose suggests intelligent design. Now let's turn the pages and consider the second conclusion by Mr. Hawking. The laws of nature form a system that is extremely fine-tuned, and very little in physical law can be altered without destroying the possibility of the development of life as we know it. Were it not for a series of startling coincidences in the precise details of physical law, it seems humans and similar life forms would never have come into being. The first assertion is based on solid scientific evidence. All scientists appear to agree that our little blue planet is finely tuned, and if anything changed, life as we know it couldn't exist. Volumes have been written about the fine-tuning of our universe. Particularly persuasive are the necessity of constants, such as gravity. However, the conclusion, the second assertion that it all came about by a series of startling coincidences, is like taking the rabbit out of the hat. It contradicts both the first assertion in the paragraph and the assertion stated above in the first quote that the beginning of the universe was governed by the laws of science. They are diametrically opposed. Both cannot be true. Accidental laws are a contradiction in terms. That which can be created by accident can also be destroyed by accident. In another statement, Mr. Hawking asserted, Our solar system has other lucky properties without which sophisticated life forms might never have evolved. Again, luck, accident, chance, coincidence, and serendipity of surroundings do not mix with law. Law and luck are incompatible. I repeat my thesis. Everything in our temporal world is predicated upon law, and everything in our spiritual world is predicated upon law. The existence of law suggests intelligent design, and intelligent design suggests God. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.